Hello, everybody. Good to have you guys here today. Um, please come forward, front and center, because we are going to leave the air conditioning running. Unless y'all would prefer for it be turned off. Should we turn it off so y'all can hear better? I really think that's like our best promotion campaign we can offer as a church. Like, hot on Sundays, come enjoy the AC and listen to a sermon. Like, people from all over Edmonds that have no interest in church would be here just to enjoy air conditioning in the midst of the heat of the day. We'll actually be the first church ever to have a successful like two o'clock in the afternoon sermon. <laughs> all non-believers, everyone just coming for air conditioning. All right. Well, let me open us with prayer, and then we will jump in for a fast and furious day of training. Lord, we thank you so much for the chance to get together and to um, just really wrestle through how do we apply your word and uh, to really wrestle with this idea of biblical community. Uh, Lord, as our culture has changed, it is so difficult sometimes to understand how to apply your biblical truths in the context that we live in. So I pray that today you would just help us think um, clearly about your word and creatively about how that relates in our culture so that we can really think and have a, a strong understanding of what biblical community looks like so that we can live out our faith in a way that would honor and uh, bring glory to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Else yeah. Pastor Shane has notes for the day, so that's kind of an outline of what I'm going to be running through. Uh, definitely worthwhile to have these, although I will say this. Uh, those are a, a, a shortened version of the notes uh, because I wanted to be respectful with church resources. I have actually got in the full notes, which with this training, I will post the full notes. There are pages of scripture references that support a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. So my encouragement would be if any of this really hits home and you want to dig deeper, go download the full version of the notes and that way you can really look through the full context of, of the scriptural background and everything for today. Um, I want to thank all of y'all for coming. Uh, I recognize that uh, summers in Seattle often feel short. This summer, maybe not as much as most because it started a couple months early. Um, but on a sunny Sunday afternoon for you to commit time to come and be a part of training, I recognize is a big sacrifice. So I want to thank you guys for coming. Um, it's a huge encouragement to me because as we're replanting and trying to get healthy and, and, and establish uh, more health in our existing groups, but also get to a place where we can plant new groups because God is continuing to bring new families into this church. Um, it takes people who are trained and equipped to live out the work of the ministry. And so it is encouraging to me that y'all would have enough of a heart to come and be a part of this. And whether that's as a community uh, group leader or someone who wants to lead or just someone who is a part of a community group and really wants to understand biblical community so that you can help to contribute health in the community group you're a part of, even if you're not leading, just as a, as a member. So whatever context you're coming from, I really hope and pray that today will be a really fruitful time for you as we talk about these ideas of biblical community. Uh, for anybody that's not been to a training, uh, discipleship training yet, some kind of ground rules. Number one is I want you guys to be engaged. Um, and so feel free and dialogue with me when relevant. Uh, the air conditioning is loud. Um, and so I'll need you to just kind of yell. And the, the, the way the lights are on, uh, I can just see silhouettes. So I'm going to need you like, to yell so I can actually know where stuff is coming from. But be engaged. Dialogue when relevant. Ask questions if anything's unclear. That's the point of a training day. I'm not preaching. Uh, you don't have to worry about interrupting the sermon. This is more of like a, a, a work session. And so when there are questions, stop me and ask. Um, push for clarity if anything's not clear. 
I really want you to think about connecting the dots. So this is not supposed to be just information. This is supposed to be stuff for application. So if you're hearing this stuff and you can't think about how it fits in the context that you're in, push and ask questions and uh, want to make sure you walk out saying, oh, I get how this applies in my community group or in my life. So try and connect the dots as we go through that, uh, through all of this. And then definitely give me feedback. Um, I ask for this every time, but I want to make sure this training that we do anytime we host training is effective. So if you walk out and you feel that it was not effective or you have ideas for what can make it more fruitful, let me know. We don't want to waste anybody's time. I don't want to waste my time, and I sure don't want to waste your time. So if we're going to ask you all to be here on a Sunday afternoon, give me feedback so we can make sure this is as fruitful as possible for you guys. Uh, real quickly, uh, just so you know why we want to bring folks in for this, uh, the first goal would be for you to understand and own the mission statement and the values of Sound City Bible Church, uh, not because we think that we have come up with some really catchy phrase that we just want everyone to know, uh, but because the mission statement of the values we think encapsulates some of the core doctrinal convictions that God has given us. These are biblical truths, biblical convictions that we feel God's called us to hold to that we, we think are true for every believer. And so we're in essence saying, hey, we really want you to own and understand what God has called you to be as a Christian um, not just our own little mission statement. This is really God's call for Christians. And then secondly, we wanna equip you to live that out. We wanna equip you to live out the mission statement and the values because we cannot be good stewards of the work God has purposed to do here unless we are all equipped to carry out the work of the ministry. So with that, I'm gonna run real quickly through some kind of introductory materials and then I wanna spend the bulk of the time in actual question and answer talking through scenarios and just very practical application. But setting the stage, for those of y'all that aren't aware, our values, we kind of bucket them in three buckets. One of the sets of values would be our relationship to God and in that we value the teaching of sound doctrine, prayer and enjoying God. Now these are values for our church at large but as you read through these, recognize these are also core values for any biblical community, not just on our corporate church scale, but also on the, the scale of like your biblical community, uh, your community group, as you get together with other believers, you should uphold and, and have a high value for the teaching of sound doctrine, for prayer together and for enjoying God. As it relates to other Christians, we value the priority of relationship, uh, progress, not perfection. We recognize that um, it is Jesus alone who is perfect and who has redeemed and restored us and is calling us to be sanctified and to grow in the fullness of Christ. Uh, but in our fallen nature, we are still gonna have sin. And so we're looking for progress. We're not gonna expect people to come in the door perfect or to clean their life up so that Jesus will accept them. Um, that's actually contradictory to the gospel. Um, so we do value the progress of God's sanctifying work, knowing that we're all fallen and we need Jesus at work in our lives. And we also value members equipped for the ministry. And regarding that value, um, <coughs> excuse me, the work of the ministry isn't reserved for a select few pastors and leaders. Uh, we talked about this a lot last week in this sermon. Um, but the work of the ministry is really important for each Christian to see that God has given them gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, which we see in Ephesians, and that there's great joy in putting those gifts to use, which we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. So um, take that to heart, but members equipped for ministry is a core piece of why we get together for these discipleship trainings. And then in relationship to the unbelieving world, we value every member a missionary, meaning all of us are called to share God's reconciling grace with others so that they too can meet Jesus and be reconciled. Um, we value preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, 
And we value being a church that both gathers, gets together, but also scatters and goes out and reaches the lost, those that aren't in the church so that they can meet Jesus and be drawn into the church. And again, those values hold equally as true for community groups. If you think about your community group and you run through these values, if any of them are lacking and have no place in your community group, then I would say that is an area where you are missing sound elements of biblical community. Did I say something? Okay. I never know. I might have said naked or something, getting people laughing again. I know I say things funny sometimes. All right. Um, But so those values, again, and this could be a great community group discussion sometime to sit down and say, hey, of these values, these are really biblical values for any biblical community. Which ones are we excelling in and where are we not excelling in and where do we have room to grow and and then pray about how God might want you to grow in those values. Um, Pastor Shane, there's some folks coming in. If you wouldn't mind throwing them some notes. So with that, I'm going to very quickly, now I have put these notes uh, in in, um, the full notes, and I think you have a short version in your hands, but we want to look at why we would build solid biblical community. We always want to start with the why. Um, otherwise, we easily fall into a workspace thing where we, we forget why we're doing it. And we start to do things out of wrong motive. Um, but we've talked about this extensively already in discipleship training, so you can go back and learn more about this from previous sessions. So I'm just going to rifle through this at a very high level. But God created us in his image. We see in the Genesis account, it talks about we were created in his image. Um, God existed in community with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So he wasn't lonely and trying to make some friend out in the universe. God was actually very fulfilled in community with others. And out of that joy created man in his image so that man could also experience unity and community with God the Father um, and with one another as, as you know, man and women were called to multiply and, and to fill the earth. Um, and so we were created into relationship with God and with others, but sin disrupted all of that. Sin broke the relationship with God, and we see from that time when Adam and Eve broke relationship with God that ever since God has been trying to reconcile and pursue man and woman back into relationship with himself, and ultimately he does that through the work of Jesus when Jesus came and died on the cross and was buried and rose again, conquering death so that we could be reconciled back into relationship with God. And so God's narrative throughout Scripture was to display his glory and to reconcile us So as we think about that, we were redeemed and saved back into relationship with God, but we were also saved and redeemed into relationship with his body. Uh, We were adopted. We were made sons. We were made heirs. We see throughout scripture, um, I listed a number of references there that talk about us as his body, a number of other references that talk about us as his church, a collective unit being built together. And so I give you those references just to remind us that Um, We do biblical community really as a means to display God's grace. And I wrote a paragraph down here that I think hopefully captures this. And I'm going to go ahead and just read it verbatim. But we were redeemed back into relationship with God. As one of his children, we were also made joint heirs, sons and daughters, part of the body of Christ. So we were redeemed not only back into relationship with God, but with other Christians as well. So it's not only our personal testimonies of redemption, but it's the church the body of Christ, biblical community, that the community of the redeemed, that is evidence of God's glorious grace. Therefore, building biblical community is how we show the world evidence of God's glorious grace. In essence, when you bring a bunch of sinners together and make them a family, it is clearly the work of God. Justin talked about that today in some of his message, talking about how all these different people in different backgrounds coming together and living in unity and love despite all their differences is such a clear display that God's grace has been at work because we don't naturally do that. 
So with that, what are the building blocks of biblical community? If that's why we do biblical community, to display God's glory to the world, what are the building blocks? Like what all would make up healthy biblical community? And I would argue this is a, a, a nice short list, but certainly not exhaustive, but these hit some key pillars. Um, faith, trust, worship, a heart for God's word and prayer, obedience, living out the one another's. There's all sorts of commands in the New Testament, the one another's. Uh, the Greek word in the one another's is used over 100 times in 94 different New Testament verses. 47 of those give instructions to the followers of Jesus. One third of the one another's uh, commands deal with the church getting along, the idea of unity. Yep. One third of those commands instruct Christians to love one another and 15% stress an, 15 excuse me, stress an attitude of humility and deference among believers. So the one another's, and, and again, in my full notes, I have a reference to a great infographic as well as a ton of those verses categorized for y'all so that y'all can go and find those and look through those. Um, but then there's also the building block of witnessing and evangelism. So, and look at me, I'm, I've got all of these wonderful slides that I'm going to leave that one up because that's a good one as we talk later. How do I point it? There we go. All of these are building blocks. Now, if you think about, and the reason we've used the idea of building blocks is um, if, you're, if you're putting a building together, there are just certain core elements you need. If you take any one of them out, you might still be able to put the structure up, but it's not going to be as stable. Um, and then you've got your core stuff, but then when you come to design work, like the more detail and the more stuff you put in, the more beautiful and the more full it gets. Um, so can you build a community group, for example, or a biblical community without all of these present? Uh, present? Yes, but it won't be as life-giving as if all of these elements are present. So we want to grow in the fullness of Christ. We want to see more and more of these elements because these are healthy, life-giving elements that God has called us to. This is where we'll experience the most life if we have all of these incorporated. So those are the building blocks in general terms. Now we get to the question and where I want to spend the bulk of our time today. How do we build biblical community? Um, from the sermon last week, talked a little bit about what the work of the ministry is. And so if the work of the ministry is about seeing people reconciled to God and growing in the fullness of Christ, then think of biblical community simply as a context in which Christians live out the work of the ministry. I think often... I get into discussions with people and, and um, I've talked about community stuff with friends of mine ever since high school, like all the way through. We love getting together, talking about biblical community. How does our faith get played out in the context of life with one another? And, and often in the wrestling through stuff, there's kind of, well, there's this way and that way and the right way. And it, we get complex or these big grandiose ideas, but it's helpful to just keep it simple. We're just talking about the biblical community as a context in which Christians live out the work of the ministry. Uh, to build healthy biblical communities, we should seek to incorporate as many of these building blocks as possible and in diverse ways that are appropriate and relevant for the context God has placed us. Often as I get into discussions and people are talking through how they do community group or how they live out biblical community, they'll hit on something that's been really life-giving and somebody else is like, ah, oh, well, we do X and we do it differently and they start to argue 
And I think often what they miss is they're in totally different contexts. Uh, often the answer is, no, you're both right. Those are both healthy ways to live out biblical community. Your methods are different, but you're in different contexts. So it, it is going to look different. And so as we work through this stuff today, and as you're thinking about how this applies to you, you need to think about the fact that um, you need to consider the stage of life that you're in and the people that God has put in your life are in because the stage of life is going to set a context that's going to affect how you live out the biblical um, elements of, of community. You need to consider the avenues God has given you. Um, you might have natural areas of engagement such as your work or your hobbies or your kids' sports, uh, and that's going to shape a little bit of how you live out biblical community and how you live out the work of the ministry and witnessing and things of that nature. Um, you might need to consider uh, things that the, the people, uh, excuse me, consider people that the Spirit has placed on your heart. So as you're wrestling and thinking about biblical community, Spirit is going to potentially impress people on your heart that He's giving you a heart for to love and to care for or to reach out to or to build relationship with. But all of these things are going to shape how you end up living out the work of the ministry in, in biblical community. Um, some other starting thoughts just to keep in the back of your mind before we dive into the Q&A. Um, it requires dependence on the Lord and the empowering work of the Spirit. Um, as we talk about things today, it's real easy to jump into like the tactical things and think, oh, well, here's a bag of tricks and your hammer and your tool. And as long as you just do things in this order, it's all going to work out and you'll have a vibrant community. Uh, and the truth is that's not the case at all. Um, the tools and things are, are hopefully helpful but as you go about the work, it is ultimately the work of the Spirit working in people's lives that is going to build community and transform lives. Uh, it is sin and the work of the enemy that is going to attack that and tear that down. And so there is a constant reality of needing to be dependent on the work of the Spirit, walking in dependence upon Him, both in your own life and then prayerfully trusting He would give you discernment to see where He's at work in others' lives, where sin is at work, where sin is you know, attacking them and, and causing them to question or to push back against community. Um, so all of those factors are at play and really cause us to need to really work through this with the spirit. I can't, I can't just say, hey, if you master all these techniques, you're gonna go lead vibrant, amazing community. Um, you could be stellar and still be in the midst of what it just feels like an awful, challenging, difficult community but that might be a context God's put you because he's trying to grow you in dependence on him and he's got difficult work to do in other people's lives who are um, struggling and, and in the throes of, of uh, strongholds that they're trying to break free from. So even if you're doing everything right, sometimes it is really hard and really it's a question of where's the spirit at work and being dependent on him as he leads you through that. Um, another starting thought is that it takes intentionality, gospel intentionality. Um, healthy biblical community doesn't just happen. Uh, I say that sometimes it bursts out of unexpected places, um, but there's a big difference between healthy biblical community and then just best buddies you love to go do stuff with. Uh, you can go have a blast and have buddies and have a sense of rich community. It's life-giving, uh, but if it never draws in the gospel, if it's never challenging you in your walk, if it's never drawing out higher truths that point you to the work of Jesus, I would say there's a that's not biblical community, it's just good community. And it's a taste and it has elements of healthy biblical community, but true biblical community takes gospel intentionality. Um, and I would also say it is not always comfortable. Um, the, the work of the ministry is often challenging. Uh, Jesus didn't say, hey, come follow me and everything will become, you know, like Disneyland. Um, it was come follow me and you're going to have persecution and people are going to not like what you're doing and the enemy hates what you're doing. So he's going to be attacking you and those that are with you that are doing this work 
but follow me and abide in me and trust me because ultimately I have a great plan and a great work that I'm purposing to do. So just recognize it's not always comfortable, but we're not following Jesus for comfort. It's not a cruise ship or just signing up to go party. We're signing up to the work of the ministry that he's called us to for his glory to be displayed. All right, so with that, the fun part, Q&A. I have actually written out a number of questions that are some of the most common things that come up. Um, I have kind of given a green light to Pastor Shane and Pastor Aaron and Pastor Joe, uh, especially them, but, but also anybody else. As I'm running through these, I'm going to try and very quickly share different nuggets for you to think about. Because most of these questions, there's not a single answer. It's Depending on your context, it could be A, B, C, or D, or other things. So I'm going to try and give several ideas. Thinking back to last week's sermon, the idea of full flavored, part of the idea was giving y'all, all right, we know the blocks, but here are all the different ways you can arrange them to get people thinking creatively about how they do biblical community. So in the midst of that, if you, again, have a question or need clarification, tell me. If you have something else to add, if you can keep it short, then, then voice that, but we want to keep moving fairly quickly. We can do that, or I can repeat the question. Uh, actually, if you're going to give feedback, we would definitely want the mic. Uh, if you, if, well, actually, we don't want a mic. <laughs> you voice it. If it's a good question, I'll repeat it, and they'll hear it on the recording. If it's a good feedback, it'll be on the recording. If it's not, I'm going to keep going, and they'll never know. <laughs> Why was there that odd quiet? Um, maybe for sake of keeping it short, I'll repeat. Not, not to keep y'all from the <laughs> recording, but to keep it short. Um, so, but again, if you do have something, just yell really loudly and then I'll repeat it so everybody can hear. All right, first question. Are community groups synonymous with biblical community? Yes. No. Yes or no? Maybe. All right, that's some good feedback and I'm glad that we got different answers. Uh, here's the truth. Community groups, as we have communicated and expressed them here, is a method, a starting point, a framework to help us lead people into biblical community, but I would say it's a starting point, and it's not synonymous with biblical community. Uh, you could have rich, vibrant, healthy biblical community and not be in a community group. You could be in a community group and not have healthy biblical community at all. Uh, you could be with a group of people, call themselves a community group, meet every week, do certain elements of what we talk about, but have other dynamics that aren't healthy, aren't vibrant, and missing a ton of the dynamics of full biblical community and be missing out on what God's really called you to. So what we want to do is avoid methodology. Uh, methodology would be idolizing your methods, like, hey, the way we do this is the only way. That goes back to the issue of context. There's a lot of ways to do things, so you need to think about how do we do this in the light of your context. So then that comes to a next question. How do we get folks in our community group on the same page? If we come from different contexts, we have different ideas, it's likely we have different expectations, so if we have different expectations and we seem to be missing each other, how do we get each other on the same page? Um, with this, I wanna encourage y'all to turn, I think it is on your back page. If you'll just flip all the way to the back, I'm gonna skip ahead real quick. There are some distortions and roadblocks, and I think it's worthwhile to highlight a couple of these before we go through the rest of the Q&A. Um, our culture shapes and can distort our expectations of community. So for example, let's say somebody walks in, they come from a broken home, there was abuse, there was no trust, they've never seen a healthy community where there was healthy trust and, and love and care and support. 
So they're going to have uh, guardedness and concern, and, and they're going to be hesitant. They're not going to want to open up. It might feel really foreign and odd to them if they walk in and you are opening up. Um, so their experience, their culture could shape and distort their understanding of what community is. Um, traditions, uh, our religious background or just family traditions, whatever traditions we may have can shape and distort our expectations. So for example, let's say I come from another church and when we did community group, it was A, B, and C, but man, y'all are doing these other things that can feel really weird. And, and it might be, it might be what they did were, were good things. Um, but if they're expecting that's the way it has to be and you're doing it differently, that can distort it. They can walk away thinking, I don't think that was a very good community group. So even in good ways, our experiences can still distort our expectations, uh, and our experiences can shape and distort our expectations. So thinking about those, um, go back to the question then, how do we get folks in our community group on the same page? Practically speaking, here are a few things that come to mind. Number one is just discuss it. Often I'll talk with community group leaders and they've never just called time out and gone around the room and said, hey, what do you come here for? What are you hoping to get out of this? Now, if you have those discussions, here would be my recommendation. Um, talk openly about what people are expecting, but also have some good biblical references so that you can draw it back to what scripture says biblical community should be and what those elements are. Because otherwise everyone can come in, well, I want... I want everyone to love me and I want them to love me in this way. And it's like, well, that's fine. But if, if their expectations aren't healthy, we need to have something as a baseline that can draw them back to what healthy expectations look like. Does that make sense? So it's important to understand each other because if I understand someone's really looking to be loved and in a certain way, there are elements of that that are probably like, I understand, like God does call us to love one another, but that can be a slightly distorted view of how they expect to be loved. So I'm gonna talk about scripturally Here's what it looks like to love one another. So we do want to love you, but we want to do it in a biblical way. So have those dialogues, have open dialogue, draw people out, but also point them back to scripture as to what healthy expectations should be so that y'all can all land on the same page. Um, it also can be helpful to just set expectations. So in addition to having the dialogue, um, you can kind of come along and say, you know what, if you're leading especially, like, hey, here's some biblical values and here's where my heart is and here's some things we really wanna focus on and you can set those expectations. Um, it's also good to maybe, as a community group, you can, um, in essence, develop commitments to one another. Uh, as you're talking through those things, you can kind of lay out like, hey guys, here's priorities and rhythms. One of the expectations that often I see a disconnect around is um, someone will have it in their mind, community group means we get together every week somebody else has a busy work schedule and travels and they want to be a part, but they're just not there regularly. Well, the people that are there regularly might feel like the people that aren't there regularly don't care as much. And that can lead to hurt. Well, I don't want to open up when they're here. They don't really care about us. They're not here every week. So things of that nature can just create a gap. So talking about those and coming to a healthy place, understanding each other. Um, but one of the things that can help with that is putting together, um, uh, we'll say written commitments to one another. Um, there is a uh, community group uh, covenant that Pastor Shane has used in his church in the past. They're using in their community group, and that can be helpful as a community group to work through biblical expectations and then even say, you know what, here's what we want to commit to one another. Um, and having something in writing that just gives y'all something tangible to point back to, uh, we have that with the church, the covenant members. Like, hey, here are biblical values that we're going to commit to one another. Now, with that, let me ask this question what are the pros and what are the potential uh, fallbacks of having a, a covenant like that in a community group? Anybody ideas, pros, cons? It could become legalistic. It could become legalistic. 
Yeah. So on the pro side, it's helpful because you've agreed to things. So if they walk in and you're having hard discussions, and like, I don't like this, you say, well, hey, we said we love each other enough. We're going to have the hard discussions. We're, we're not going to let each other get away with stuff and, and walk in sin or blindness because we love you too much. So you agreed to that. I know this isn't comfortable, but we committed to press in and to love each other and to pursue each other. Uh, on the negative side was it can become legalistic. Um, I would also say, and we'll get into this as we talk about um, open groups, closed group, missional outreach. Um, Let's say I'm brand new. I walk into your community group the first week, and you're like, well, hold on. Before you walk in, you need to sign this. Well, I don't know what healthy community is. I'm going to be freaked out, and I am done. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. So a lot of that is context. Again, now, if you've got a group that's been together a long time, and, and, and things are starting to gel, you're starting to agree, you've had some of these talks, that can be a great move to say, you know what, we're just going to commit to each other. It's kind of like, probably a bad analogy, but you know, like, You've gotten to know somebody, you kind of start dating. Well, at some point, you got to have the DTR and say, look, I'm going to let you know where my intentions are. Like, I'm really serious about this thing. I'm not just goofing around. You're not just some other girl I'm taking out. Like, I'm really, I'm really digging your chili. Like, I want to get to know you here. That's another Southern phrase. That's, sorry, from Texas. That's how we roll. Yeah. <laughs> that is not in your Bible, yes. That's the Southern edition. Um, so... If you've had relationship and context, it can be great to come to that place. But if someone new comes in, you want to be gracious and, you know, give time and love them. And at a certain point, like, man, something's different about you guys. You talk them through the values and say, you know, we've really committed all these things and you're welcome to keep coming. But if you're really going to be a core, we would, we would love to see you grow to a place where you would have these same convictions and join us in this and sign this covenant. That way we, we can challenge each other and hold each other, you know, accountable to these things that God is calling us to. So... There's a handful of ideas, discussing expectations, setting expectations, maybe even documenting and, and in essence, covenanting to one another. Uh, any other elements, that, that simple ideas that maybe y'all want to throw out real quick to help people get on the same page? Anything else real quick that you've seen really helpful maybe in your community groups in the past? Okay, I'll say this. Nine times out of 10, when community group leaders come to me and there's a tension, they haven't even had the discussion. As soon as they start having the discussion, it's amazing what comes out. My favorite one, there was a group, uh, all empty nesters, like these folks have been around a long time. Most of them had walked with the Lord for a long time. I happened to be there on a night visiting their group when they, the leader said, you know, why are you here? And everyone to a person said, you know, I come to a community group because I want to be known and challenged with the gospel. After they went around that, every one of them to a person then went around and said, and I don't feel that anyone here knows me or challenges me personally with the gospel. We all talk about theology out here. It's not personal. The whole group wanted to be known and nobody was making an effort to connect. So they all had expectations. They were all missing and failing each other. Once it was on the table, they said, all right, well, how do we change that? We all want the same thing. What can we do? And they started pursuing each other in a whole different way. And within about six months, that group was a totally different dynamic. God was doing amazing work as they actually started opening their lives. So all that to say, have the discussions. All right. What could our community group gathering look like? Anybody? What could a community group gathering look like? Does no one know? Okay, it could look like a potluck. It could look like going to a park. Good, we actually started with creative things, not just the standard. What are most community Awkward groups? Circle. Awkward circle. What do most community groups look like? A Bible study? Maybe dinner? 
Is this, is this ring a bell? Does anybody do the, we show up, we have a little bit of a meal and talk for 30 minutes kind of casually, then we call timeout, interrupt all the discussions that are happening, we bring them into a circle, we then have one person that asks questions and people respond to that person. Maybe there's some healthy dialogue amongst the group, but often it's directed to the one guy asking questions. And then we realize, oh, it's getting late, we stop, we need 10 minutes for prayer. We got a prayer request. Oh, God, the 10 minutes are over. We just got, I tell you, well, one person praying close and then we're out. Is that, anybody else been to that community group? All right. That's where I would highlight. Those are all good elements. Fellowship, Bible study, prayer. It's hard to squeeze them all in a given night. So I want you all to really think about creatively, how can community group look? And with this, let me actually flip back to, or forward to, I don't know where it goes. Chris, help me. I want the slide. Nope, nope, I don't want that one yet. I want the one that has the values. Where did the, here we go. Way to go, Chris, good job. I want you to think creatively about the different ways you can incorporate these things. Um, here's a good question. Are you expected to fit all of those building blocks into your community group gathering every week? Amen. It is impossible. You're not going to get these in. And we need to think about a healthy, balanced, diversified community group over the context of time, not at any given moment. Um, so with that, you might have a night where you get together and as you're fellowshipping, you realize a lot's going on, and you say, you know what? Hey, guys, over dinner, let's just kind of stop. Like, I know we're all kind of sitting and eating, but Genesee, why don't you share us what's going on? It's been kind of heavy. And she takes 20 minutes to share what's going on, and then you just stop and pray for her. And in the midst of her sharing, you realize somebody else was resonating. You say, man, what's going on in your life? Dan, what? It sounds like something's going on. And you spend the whole night just letting people share, and you pray, and you maybe only really unpack two or three people's story that night. But you have had care, pastoral care, love and care for one another. You've had prayer. Uh, maybe another night you come in and you say, hey, we're about to get into Hebrews. We're not real great at our Bible study techniques. This is a great chance to study. So tonight, here's three different Bible study techniques. We're going to study ahead before Pastor Aaron starts to unpack Hebrews. And so, hey, you group, you take this technique. Go study and learn. This group, take that. You split the whole group up. up. You use Bible study techniques. You come back together and you share what each one of y'all have learned using that technique. And in the course of that evening, you've had great Bible study. People have learned techniques. They've gotten to teach as they're teaching one another. Um, what are, you can go through every one of these. God's word, the uh, worship. Man, if you got somebody like Tom Reber in your community group in the summer, you should be throwing out like the fire pit and having like some praise and worship songs and just have an entire night. Like back, if anybody ever go to like church camps as a kid, the whole like sit around the campfire and just, just worship and just, man, sing some songs and pray and worship the whole night. It's okay if you don't do a potluck that night. Um, you don't have to do food every night. Actually, our group, we never do food every week. So in my experience, that normally turns into a place where somebody ends up bringing a lot, somebody doesn't bring as much, they start getting bitter, and it's like, you know what? Bring dinner if you want it. Once a month, we do a potluck. That seems to be a good rhythm for us, but you don't have to do a meal every night. I know for some of y'all, like, what? We don't have to do a meal every week? No. If it serves your group well, go for it, but you don't have to. Um, other dynamics. It, it can look incredibly diverse. So does that give you enough ideas, at least get you started? Like, it can look a lot of ways, okay? What are, maybe, think of a couple of things your group has done that is a little bit out of that normal rhythm I described, 
where you've done something a little bit different that's been really life-giving. Can I get just a few examples of things y'all have tried, things y'all have done on a like community group get-together night? Yeah, board game, game night. Uh, Linda Freiberg actually said today, she said, you know, we, they do a board game night in their community group every so often. She said, you know, as a church, someone brought out that we've done a great job getting into the heavy, weighty things of theology and application, but we really don't have a lot of fun together. And I was like, man, that is so true. Pastor Joe used to have a phrase for his group, which I won't get right, but it's like, we're going to have Bible study, but not all the time. We're going to pray, but not all the time. We're going to uh, have fellowship over food, but not all the time. We're going to party, but not all the time. This idea of we're going to incorporate a lot of different elements. So that's a great one. What else? Life-giving things you've experienced. Yell real loud, Ethan. good point. So for those that couldn't hear, he's saying focus on Jesus, but let everything else change. Uh, as things change, people will come back, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. But it actually can be a good thing to kind of disrupt the norms and get them really thinking about what are they really there for. One or two other life-giving ideas. Uh, we did uh, communion and repentance. Yeah. For like two and a half hours. That's awesome. Yeah, a night of praying for each other, communion, and even like breaking out and repentance and just working through sin and things is great. Yeah, Chris. Take it on the road. So either going in uh, packing lunches at a park or small bags for homeless or taking a trip to Leavenworth as a group. Absolutely. Uh, so he was talking about taking it on the road, doing things, service projects, or even something like rented the short bus. Um, <laughs> because their whole group could fit in it, not because of anything about their group, but they could all fit in it, and they took it, and they rented it, so they could all ride over to Leavenworth together and spend a day in Leavenworth, and then rode back. Um, service projects is a great one. Uh, man, we would love to support various service projects, uh, but we're looking for groups that have a passion and identify a need and want to rally that, and we can get other people to come alongside, but whether that's a particular family down the street that needs help, or whether it's serving in the food banks or something like that in your area, there's a lot of service opportunities. And occasionally, taking a night as a community to go serve is a huge blessing uh, and a great opportunity. Yes. One of the things that we budgeted is budgeted, in essence, like uh, uh, funds for benevolence and for for community outreach and impact. And one of the ways we've talked about doing that is we would love to do kind of a micro missions fund, where in essence, if your community group has something they want to do, then you in essence submit a one-page report that says, here's what we want to do, here's the impact that we think it'll have, here's how we have you know, opportunities to show the gospel to others and serve them, and here's what it's going to cost. We've raised X amount of dollars, but we need X, then the church has funds to help support you guys so that y'all can go have local outreach, but even if you don't have the financial resources to do it on your own, the church can come alongside and support that. Uh, we did it as a church several years ago, had some really fruitful opportunities for groups to do things that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to on their own. And so we're gonna kind of be opening that up again. And so if your group has some project you would like to do, again, submit us a one-page report. We can even put together a template or an outline if you need it. But let me know and I can work with you to get something together so we can get funds in your hands to help serve your communities. Yeah, so he was saying, in essence, we'll try to do a dollar and dollar, dollar to dollar match. Um, part of that will be 
that's the heart. We'll see how many requests are coming in and how much we actually have to fund these things. But we would love to have the problem of struggling to get enough money. And if we hit that point, we can maybe start raising, you know, specific funds to support those micro missions. Yes, sir. Right. Like, so we can do these things throughout the week, right? So like, we, there's been so many times where like uh, folks will come into the group and they've had all these struggles throughout the week, or they've needed prayer, or they've needed these other things, and you only hear about it that night, and so you can't really spend as much time, like you were saying earlier, just digging into that one concern because you've already had these other things that you've got to do as well. And yep. So loving on each other throughout the week, inviting each other into each other's lives. Like so, we're just Steph and I decided we had an extra night for models in town, so we had an extra So, yeah. so summarizing for the recording, uh, Pastor Shane was saying this, all of the elements of biblical community will not fit into a single community group night, a weekly scheduled get together. So that's a starting point, but it should flow into the natural rhythms of your life. And he talks about going out on date night and uh, inviting, hey, any other families, this is an unexpected date night. We're kind of doing it impromptu. If anyone from the group wants to join us, we're going to go hang out. That actually hits at the next question I was going to ask. Do we have to meet as a community group every week? What are the pros and cons? I hear yes and no. Pros and cons. The pro of it is it's a regular established rhythm. Think about this. Yeah, so people that are very organized and need to have a rhythm uh, don't go nuts. If you have every other week as your rhythm, and let's say somebody misses one week for a, a, they're sick or they're whatever, then they're only getting to have a touch point monthly in terms of like the full community group. That's pretty challenging. Uh, man, trying to run on a once a month touch point, it's hard to have rich, genuine relationship. Uh, the con of every week is it can be a bit challenging at times to, to that regular. So there needs to be grace, but my encouragement would be more regular than less. Um, there are groups, for example, where they, and we'll get into this later with kids, where they maybe do guys get together and watch the kids so the women can go have in-depth discussion. The next week, the gals watch the kids together. So they're having time together, but it's, it's in the midst of the chaos while the guys go have in-depth discussion. But to Pastor Shane's, I think some of the most healthy and vibrant communities I see, that weekly gathering, again, is just a starting point. So they try to get together weekly, knowing they can't fit it all in. They also then might have, hey, three or four of the guys are really you know, eager to grow through something, and so maybe they're picking a book of the Bible to work on Bible study techniques, or, or they just meet for prayer and, and coffee like once a morning, uh, excuse me, once a week in the morning, and then another couple of the guys work through something else, and the gals meet during the day with their kids, or the, basically the relationships you begin to form meeting on a weekly basis with the whole group is a starting point. But as those relationships form, you look for ways to fit them in the natural rhythm of your life. So for Kami and I, often it's, uh, if we're going hiking, we're inviting a couple of the families along because that's something that's life giving for us. But it's also a great avenue to have time to talk as we're driving out or as we're on the trail or what have you. Pastor Shane and them talking about their date night. Now, um, that being said, you don't have to meet every week. But think about the pros and cons. Uh, know that the less regular your full group meets, 
the more challenging it's gonna get to be to really foster genuine relationship. Now, if you've got a group that are mature believers and understand community and are really committed to pursuing each other and you know everyone in the group has one or two people they connect well with, it's probably easier and safer for you to meet less regularly because there's already gonna be a lot of touch points going on between the community group. If you have a new group where they don't know each other and they're younger believers, they're probably gonna need a lot more leading and a lot more structure until they experience it and understand the need for it and are confident enough to pursue it on their own. So again, you have to think context of where you and your group and the people who are in your group are at. Does that make sense? Um, what about the group that says, man, we wanna be welcoming to folks. We know that the church has new families coming in and we wanna be welcoming because maybe a family's in our area, but we're busting in the seams. What do we do? What's that? Kick him out. What do we do? Okay, raise up another leader would be an option. What are some other things? Uh, no, you never split, you don't divorce, you don't kill off any of the group. Oh, I was gonna say, you plant a group, you multiply, we, we positive words, but yes, you grow, you plant, you replicate. Uh, you, you maybe uh, in the time uh, uh, create space where some of the people meet here, some of the people meet there. <laughs> uh, you know, a similar, the next question I have, and often these are interlinked, should groups always be open or is there a time for groups to be closed? Let me throw that out. We'll get some thoughts and then we'll kind of talk through those. Should groups always be open or is there a time for them to be closed? Okay, I'm hearing there's a... I'm hearing that, all right, what do you think? All right, um, here's an interesting dynamic. Uh, I'm of the conviction, this is my personal conviction, I'm not voicing this on half of the whole pastoral team because a lot of this is very nuanced. Uh, it doesn't spell it out in scripture. I mean, again, scripture doesn't have community groups. We're in a different society, a different context than, than the early church, so it's really hard to apply it all the time. But I'm kind of of a conviction that biblical community at the large church scale uh, and at a small group scale should really model one another. And so we would never as a church close our doors and say, whoa, 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 no more people welcome. So I'm kind of the conviction that, man, life's just messy sometimes and it's uncomfortable. I personally, in, in my history with community groups, have preferred talking to the group. Like, hey, it's uncomfortable. There are a ton of us on the floor. It's chaotic because there's kids and we don't have a breakout room for them. But then talking about that and using that as kind of a, a teaching point to say, hey, what has God called us to? And people are hungry for this, but to, to shepherd it well, we need to raise up people. So man, I would love some of you guys and, and some of you couples to get serious about growing so you could get to a place where you're comfortable to go plant your own community group because we can't all fit in here forever. So I'm kind of of the, I like to leave room and have it open, but I recognize it gets uncomfortable. That being said, I also am very quick to support community groups that are in a place where uh, there was a group recently actually uh, family going through some really difficult challenges uh, medically and, and the group was round, surrounding them and caring for them very well. Well, if a new family came in, it would be really hard for them to keep loving on this family and their unique situation and the needs that were present while also trying to pursue a new family that was young believers that were new to the church. And so to, to plant a new family in that would, would have been unloving in some regards because the group could not have pursued both ends well. Does that make sense? So I say that just as an example, that I think there are times where it's healthy to really focus internally to, to see growth. Um, 
If it continues too long, though, and the group, that's all they focus on, and they've forgotten about the outreaching of the gospel, and they're not sharing the gospel with others and being missional in outreach, then I would say at some point you start to get uh, distorted, like you're not experiencing the fullness of what God's called us to. Um, but that being said, there's really no right or wrong if a group is closed for the purpose of, hey, we love each other. We're having a blast. This is life-giving to us. And so we're just going to meet together as a group of Christians for the rest of our lives and really don't care what happens to the rest of the world. I would say that is unhealthy and a distortion of the gospel because God has sent us out to redeem others and to invest in others and be missional and intentional about seeing the gospel go out. So I would say if a group has no missional bent, then there's something that needs to be addressed. Uh, but if the group really is in their context of life and various things reaching out and as people come along, they're, they're welcome and open to bring those folks in. But in terms of weekly rhythm and Bible study, they just have a real long history together. I would think that's healthy and appropriate. Um, I'll share quickly as a, as a dynamic of how we saw this play out in our groups in Dallas, what we would try to do, and I um, was really blessed in the way we were set up, but in essence, my, at the time I was single, but I had a handful of folks that were young married couples and singles that we really connected well, and we said, you know what, this is a great community group, we'd love to serve the church, and we were working on some ministry elements together, so we had a lot of common overlap, it made sense for us to, to be together in community group. But as we invited others in, we would tell them, hey, we love you guys. We want to draw you into this community, but we're going to help teach y'all how to have healthy biblical community as best as we can. And then as we hit capacity, we're going to plant y'all out. So that might be six months. It might be a year. It might be longer. But whenever that point is that we're kind of busting at the seams, we'll plant y'all out. Well, we always kept that same core together. So we, in essence, over time, we had both the benefit of long-lasting relationships where we were known and people could really speak into our lives. But we also have the benefit of getting to raise people up and plant them out. I think one of the downfalls is historically, a lot of our groups are growing so fast and they're just kind of thrown into it. They never stop to really think about what's our long-term plan look like? And so all of a sudden they're busting at the seams like, oh gosh, we've got a plant. Oh, it feels like the whole family's breaking up and it was traumatic because they hadn't really thought about it and set the stage and set the expectations. Whereas for us, we like the group knew they would build the new folks coming in would build relationship with us, but their strongest relationships were with one another that they were going to plant out with. And so when it came time to plan, it was like, man, we love you guys, but they're, they were going with their strongest relationships. So it was really fun and healthy and exciting for them. And then we would try to do, we, most of us didn't have kids at that time, so it was a lot easier, but we'd do like once a month where we would all get together for a big social event on a Friday night or a Saturday night. So we maintain those relationships. And even as large as our church is, you know, if you had community group and you plan it out another, there's still chances to see each other on Sundays, to serve together, to various things that can allow you to keep those relationships going. So um, hopefully you hear in that just, these, this isn't paint by numbers. Uh, there's the art and the science. Uh, community groups is a mix, right? There's definitely certain biblical commands and values God calls us to, but so much of it is the, the art of how those are tied together and the nuances. So hopefully you're hearing in that dialogue um, some of the pros and cons and the different things to consider. Um, here's one that I enjoy hearing people respond to. Is the weekly community group gathering, when you think about the traditional community group, you know, Bible study and prayer, kind of the, the weekly rhythm, is that an appropriate place to bring non-Christians? Yes or no? Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. So... Uh, I am encouraged to hear so many people say yes. Historically, I've heard a lot of people push back. No, that's your Bible study. And da, da, da. and it's like, yeah, and the, the non-Christians need to be able to come and see what that looks like and wrestle through their own questions. Now, Pastor Joe, I would love to hear, when is that not necessarily the healthiest? Well, if you have, uh, like you have, for instance, if it's the 
<laughs> Amen. If it's the covenant signing night, we're getting really like into commitments and they're like just wondering who Jesus is, not the best night to have them come. Absolutely. So the context you're inviting them into is, into is important. You need to think about, is this going to be a fun and engaging night? Uh, and, and even the nights they come, if you're having Bible study and they're comfortable with that, it's still healthy to set the expectations. Hey, we've got so-and-so here and they're excited to come learn and listen and wrestle questions, but they're just visiting. You know, I mean, just think about that. Think about the context uh, and don't invite them into like some intense night where there's like somebody's like a church discipline night or so. I don't know. You just picture out something and be so awkward. Like, what in the world? I'm out of here. You could ruin them for life. So, uh, Bradley. Yeah, our leaders historically have been really helpful and thoughtful about it is kind of communicating to us that they've invited another family or they've heard that another group has been invited to family. So we kind of communicate to family and praying about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, he was saying, be sensitive to the new folks coming in. They'll email each other like, hey, I'm bringing a friend tonight or hey, a new couple's coming to visit. So the whole group knows and is ready. I'll say this, as a community group leader, if someone new comes in, I try to talk with them and just get a sense for where they're at. If they're a believer and they have a background and let's say there is some stuff that starts coming out in the group. I, we have literally one night had a gal visiting and it was a church discipline night. And so I just said, hey, this is something we have to deal with as a family. We're glad you're here. You're welcome to leave. We saved it for the end. I was like, but at the same time, we're really committed to doing life together and we love and there's some, we love this family and there's some stuff going on. So we're gonna walk through this. If you wanna stay, we're, we're, you, you know, you're part of the church and she had been coming for a while and this was just her first community group experience. So she stayed and that actually is what nailed her to our group. She's like, I've been dying for a place that loves each other enough to pursue each other with truth. Y'all did that beautifully. And so she became an instant part of our community group and like the next week is laying out her entire life, you know? And so it just built an instant bridge with her. But there was context and we walked through that. But there are also other nights where it's like, mm, if they're a non-believer or whatnot, we would have been like, hey, let's save the family discussion for later or uh, adjust things to make sure we're being relevant for the person coming in. Uh, Eliza, do you have? We kind of answer a lot, a lot of it, but how would you navigate with somebody who's coming to you, eager to join your community group, and how do you navigate if that's not the right time or whatever? How do you navigate telling them, hey, you know, like how would you do that without them feeling? Yeah, how do you navigate the individual if they're wanting to come and you need to address some stuff? There are several ways you can do this. Number one. Uh, as a community group leader, it is not always on you to invite the new person in. So think about like, if you've got a lot going on, hey, reach out to someone else in the group, ask if they would make a connection with that new person that's wanting to visit. So it's not always on you. But for our group, often we'll see someone new coming in, we'll say, we'll call them and say, hey, know you're coming. If you're like me, you're really shy. It's really awkward to walk into a house full of strangers. Would you like to come over for dinner or meet for coffee so we can get to know each other so when you walk in that first time, you actually know somebody? So if you make that type of invitation, let's say you know you've got some stuff you need to address that week in group, you can just skirt the whole thing and say, hey, we'd love to meet you first. Why don't we plan it for next week? We'll get together. And then the week after that, you can come to community group. Well, there you've very gracefully dodged the whole thing. Um, 
Another one be, you know, just, hey, we'd love to have you this next week. We're actually going to be covering some stuff that um, is just not going to be, it's out of the norm. So next week, the week after would be a great week for you to visit. You can just, you don't have to get in the details, but you can tell them that. Um, but I think probably the best one is just try and make a personal connection first, and that can buy you a week. Um, or as a community group, if somebody shows up unexpectedly, if that's ever happened to you, um, if they show up unexpectedly, you might just as a group say, hey, we either need to not dive into stuff tonight and put it out or kind of wrap up early and say, hey, we're going to go ahead and close. It was great having you. There are a few things we need to dive into, um, but it's more family business. We don't mean to be exclusive, but you can kind of just gracefully actually, that's a, that's a rare case though. So I would say, don't worry about that too much. Uh, and hopefully it wouldn't come to that point. But in that extreme case, I don't know, a few ideas. Um, as a community group leader, should I be leading the discussion every week or is it okay to involve others from time to time? What are the benefits and drawbacks? People get engaged by it. So you're saying it's a good idea to engage other people and have them lead discussion because they get engaged? Okay, other pros and cons? Mm-hmm. So helping them to get, get involved. I, I'll just touch on this. I see too often leaders in leading, they feel like, ah, I don't know if the other people are ready and, and they will try to protect their group. But in essence, what they end up doing is modeling that the leader is the guy that does everything because you're not releasing enough stuff. And everyone else is thinking, I don't want to be a leader because I don't have the bandwidth to do everything. So you can actually scare people away versus being very quick to involve other people and to say, hey, uh, I've seen some groups that literally will rotate through all the families in the group. Everybody's going to leave. It's a great avenue to disciple them. So you say, hey, everybody's going to lead or would love someone else to lead who's interested. Meet with them ahead of time and just talk a little bit about how do you prepare and talk them through that. Right afterwards, you can talk with them about, hey, what did you notice? What went well? What didn't go well? But it creates an actual avenue for you to disciple them and to, to con give the, it gives a context for which you can teach them how to shepherd others. So I would say it's great as a community group leader to get other people involved. And it's a great easy point, as opposed to coming to somebody and saying, hey, would you apprentice and would you like to lead a new community group? That might scare them because they might not be ready for that. But if you come up and just said, hey, I've got a lot going on, would you be willing to facilitate one or two of the weeks coming up over the next few months? That's a pretty low barrier to entry. So often say, well, yeah, I think I can fumble my way through one or two of those. Well, as they do that, they realize that's not rocket science. That was actually not too bad at all. And it moves them in the direction of being more and more comfortable with shepherding others so that you can start to identify leaders and raise them up. And certainly uh, in one of the earlier questions, you know, what do you do if you're busting at the seams? I, I think an ideal thing, because it is such an uncomfortable but a great opportunity to talk about the mission and the going forward with the gospel, which is often a work of ministry. It's not just something that's easy, but that's a great context for the community group to wrestle through. What does it look like for us to plan a new community group and challenging people to step out of their comfort zone, to become a community group leader and to take on the responsibility of shepherding the rest of the group or uh, a group of people to maybe plan out together with a shared responsibility. So, yes, sir. Yeah. 
Yeah, so teaching someone else will help you grow far more. Like just facilitating discussion is one thing, but when you're actually trying to teach other guys how to facilitate discussion and how to shepherd others, you will actually grow more as a leader. So I love it. Sometimes I'll be talking with a community group leader like, man, I feel bad, I'm busy. I don't wanna step out, but I'm thinking I might ask some of the other guys to lead and I'll just kind of shepherd them. And I'm like, thank God, finally. Like you're actually growing as a leader. You're not stepping back. You're actually taking the next step in learning how to lead through others and how to, to raise up their ability of leadership. And so that's a great move for community group leaders to kind of lead through others. Um, I, I think at this point, I'm gonna hit one more question because I wanna be respectful and give the group's breakout time. And there's, there's one question I wanna hit and then one brief like five, six minute summary with some warnings for you guys. Uh, the question that we'll hit that we haven't touched on yet, what are you doing with kids? Has anybody had a challenge with kids? Lock them in the storm shelter. Um, man, kids, I am absolutely loving having two little boys now. And my oldest is just at the age where he's engaging in a way that it's fun to have him at community group. It is also can be very distracting and can be very difficult when amidst the distractions, people are trying to share their heart and then some kid comes crashing in and making noise. It can be very disruptive to the work the spirit is doing if there's not wisdom about how you're shepherding the kids in the environment that you're creating. Does that make sense? Don't hear me say kids are a bad thing for community group, but if you're not careful about shepherding the overall environment, it can take away from the connection people have and the ability to be open, uh, be open about what God's doing. So that being said, there are a bunch of practical things you do. Number one, uh, within your community group, if you have a large group and a number of kids, I think it is often a, a reasonable thing to rotate out who watches the kids each week. A couple of practicals. It is the church, but man, things happen. We have to guard against the worst case scenario. So a few points of practical wisdom. Do not put a husband and wife down together to watch other people's kids. If something happened, uh, an abuse of some sort, the husband and wife would protect each other naturally. So you put two women down together or two men, or uh, you don't put a husband and wife from different relationships, but you just put two, like if you have high school kids that are old enough, and but you put them from different families, you don't put a brother and a sister down. So you follow me? You put different relationships so that there's a natural accountability. You keep doors open uh, so that there's, you know, not a question as to what's going behind closed doors, but there's always like a visibility. Just think practically about some of those things. Um, but you can schedule different couples to rotate through. Well, you can. Like, this is, maybe this is a bad idea, but you're thinking of like a, what do they call it, like a nanny cam? Nanny cams. Yeah, if you have that, so it shoots into the main room, that's a great backup. Just something simple and let it be known it's there. And, and it just puts everyone at ease that, man, there's, there's care being taken. Um, you can hire babysitters to come in. Um, have everybody chip in a few bucks, uh, things of that nature. Um, it, there is a time and a place to have kids included, uh, but part of that's age appropriate. How old are they? How much can they engage? Uh, as an example, my little three and a half year old loves the social group and what's going on. So we let him be there for dinner. And then as we're starting a few months ago, he said, hey, I want to share. <laughs> be interesting to see where this goes. So we're like, all right, I'm thinking it's going to be just babble. But he had been watching and he realized we came to share the Bible and to share what God was doing in our lives. So he would share that first time he shared what he was, what we were reading in his uh, children's storybook Bible at night. He shared and he was like, thank you. And he was done. 
And I was like, that's great. Now, we then had him go off and play so that we could focus, but we actually allowed him to experience a moment of that. Last week, he actually shared uh, confession and repentance. He had hit his mom that day in anger, and we had had spankings, and so he shared how he had made a bad decision and been sinful, and it, but it was precious. Like, he's seeing it. Like, as a three-year-old, he's already starting to experience elements of that, but again, we don't leave him in there, the whole community group, because he's distracting, so we encourage him to head off and play either upstairs or in a kind of First, it all blends together. But anyways, try and separate him and the kids so there's a little bit of, of separation so that we can then focus so that what God's doing in the, the adult's heart who might be distracted by all that can focus and really draw each other out. So bring in a babysitter, uh, put him in a separate room. If you're in a small house like ours, there's not a separate room. So we try to put toys in the back area and one of us will just sit back there and we try to play quietly. We do the best we can. It's life, it's chaotic. You can't always have it the way you want, but really be attentive to those details and try to work through those things because you... For somebody that doesn't have kids, especially, or if they're already past the kid stage, or if they're a single, it's gonna be really hard for them to understand why it's so chaotic and to have grace for that. So they're gonna be really distracted by it. So you need to be aware of that and think about how as a group do we address it? And that's another one you just have to talk about sometimes. Hey guys, this is chaotic. What do y'all think we should do? And talk about the pros and cons. Again, if they're totally separated, like if you do the guys night, gals night, and, and the guys get together and watch the kids while the, goes, the girls go have Bible study somewhere else, it's quiet. There's benefits to that, but the kids don't get to see that stuff modeled. They're not seeing any glimpse of you opening your Bible together and pursuing each other. So just recognize there's pros and cons. There's also seasons of life. So you might do it one way in one season that's relevant and in another season it changes. So anything else to add? I know that's a difficult, touchy topic. Pastor Joe, any? No. Okay. Meaning, one, week one is a family potluck, and the conversation is just organic. Kids are running around, it's fine. Week two, the men meet up and do that. Week three, the women, and then week four, we hire a babysitter and do something all together. Just yeah. different things like that. That's busy. So, so repeating that, he was saying changing the rhythm helps. So, they'll do one week where it's family potluck, and the kids are in the midst of all, and it's just chaos. And they try to have fruitful conversations. You're not just shooting the bull about nothing, you're actually talking about what God's doing in your life, you're sharing life in the midst of just dinner and, and chaos. Uh, next week, the guys would meet. The next week, the gals would meet. And then they'd all get together and try and do Bible study, and it's just a little more chaotic. So changing that up, it also helps when your community group has relationships outside of just the weekly deal. Um, so again, it should just be a starting point. If the only time you're having fellowship is that scheduled weekly get-together, I would say there's um, a lack in the richness of, of biblical community. And I'll go back to say, you cannot be in a community group and have all of those elements present, uh, present and be thriving spiritually. You could have rich biblical community and actually not be in a weekly community group. You could be meeting with guys in some rhythm for Bible study. You could have prayer with guys as you go and gals. Um, just know that it can look dynamic, but what you should be looking at is, are all of these elements of biblical community present in my life? And, and if you're in a community group, y'all should be asking as a group, are these all present at some point or another? And how can we incorporate more and more of it? Um, I'll say this. I grew up with a great example. My dad was a master at blending things together. So many people feel like, well, well here's my work time. And then I've got this night set aside for, for Bible study with other people. This is when I go to church. And then this is when I do softball league or whatever. Um, get good at blending those things together. Like if you're going and doing sports, recognize that's a natural context God's given you. Well, there might be people on the 
team that God's put in your life that, that are hurting and that are a chance for you to share the gospel and to build community with and to build relationship with. Or you might find people from your community group like softball. I don't know why anybody would like softball, but if you do, you might want to invite them to join your league. And now y'all have a night where you're out and you're engaged and you're actually engaged with other non-believers that are on the league. And you get what I'm saying? Like, uh, like I said earlier, we like to go hikes. We like to invite people with us when we go do that. Um, I used to whitewater river guide before we had kids. And my deal with this, instead of getting paid, I could invite somebody up with me. So every week I would invite somebody that I wanted from the community group or that I was building relationship with for ministry. And that was a fun time to just go connect. So think about things that God's already given you. Uh, you moms that take your kids to the park, be looking to build relationships. Invite a couple of other moms from the church. Uh, hey, we're going to the park. Come hang out with us. And those become great avenues to incorporate. While you're sitting there and the kids are playing, you're sharing what's going on. And all of a sudden you're praying for one another. Like you can incorporate these things in the natural rhythms of your life. They don't have to be some separate night. Does that make sense? Yep. All right. So... I'm going to wrap up fairly quick with this one morning, and then we'll have about 45 minutes for the team breakouts. Um, there are distortions and roadblocks that impact biblical community. I already shared our cultural issues. Does it just go to sleep, Chris? What's happening to me here? Where's my boy? I, I, it'll start working right before he gets to the keyboard. Watch. Can you fast forward to the video? Um, the slide before the video. Don't start the video. Um, Here's the deal. God has called us to walk as disciples and called us to biblical community. So the question comes up, well, what if we don't? What's the cost of disobedience? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has the cost of discipleship. And are you telling me to click? Um, can I just take the batteries out and kill it? Will that help? Um, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his cost of discipleship in essence says, what does it cost if you don't? It's like it costs you the abundant life, the fruit, the joy, the peace. All these things God promises you are at risk if you don't walk in obedience to what God's called you to. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says, take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We all have hearts that are prone towards hardness. So if we walk in isolation, separate from other believers, number one, blind spots are gonna creep in and we're not gonna be aware of the own sin in our lives and it's gonna lead us towards destruction. So it's critical that we walk out our faith with one another so that they can speak into our lives and help us guard against the hardness of our own heart and the deceitfulness. So with that, I'm gonna watch, there's a four minute video. I will touch a couple of quick points and we will be out of here right about uh, 2.45. So play that video if you can, Chris. Y'all are not gonna enjoy this, but it's a very good illustration, so bear with it. Our parasitized caterpillar has spent the last 12 days gorging itself. It now appears profoundly obese. But this is not all fat. The glomerata wasp larvae lie just under its skin. Each is the size of a grain of rice, but together they account for over a third of the caterpillar's weight. The larvae have not yet finished growing and need to keep their host alive. So although they feast on the caterpillar's blood, they have been careful not to touch a single one of its vital organs. 
This uneasy truce will not last. Within days, the larvae are fully matured. Suddenly, they begin to stir into action. For the past two weeks, this surrogate womb has protected them, but now they no longer need it. To complete the next stage of their life cycle, they must break out. The caterpillar's thick skin should be a solid barrier to the parasitic wasp larvae. But as their bodies have grown, they have developed tiny, saw-like teeth. These jagged jaws are for one job only. Cutting their way out. Stroke by stroke, the larvae slice through the tough layers of skin. At the same time, they release chemicals that paralyze the caterpillar. As the larvae break through, there is nothing it can do. National Geographic. Free it's at last, the larvae enter a new phase of development. They swiftly spin silken cocoons. These will provide the perfect environment for their final transformation. But ironically, one of the greatest dangers the larvae will face is being themselves impregnated by other species of parasitic wasp. Incredibly, the wounded caterpillar helps them out. Usually, a caterpillar would spin a silken blanket to make its own cocoon. But the parasitized caterpillar spins his blanket on top of the wasp cocoons giving them an extra layer of protection. Scientists believe the same wasp virus that infected it weeks before has now invaded the caterpillar's brain and caused this bizarre corruption of its normal behavior. Amazingly, the caterpillar's natural aggression is now also exploited by the wasp virus. We can actually go ahead and the stop there. I think it's almost over, but that's guard. kind of hit the highlights. I don't know if it's better watching that video or Genesee's reaction. She was dying on the front row here. Um, I share that very intentionally because, guys, um, I said earlier, we're not signing up for a cruise ship. It's a battleship. Um, the enemy would love to steal, to kill, and destroy. And I think this video does such a phenomenal job of portraying what happens when sin takes root. And you think about that Ephesians verse, uh, excuse me, Hebrews, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, 
But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called a day, that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, if sin and the enemy come to still kill and destroy, we see the enemy is at work doing just that. Think about that Body Invaders bug video. The title is actually Body Invaders, so you can find it on YouTube and use that again and again. Um, sin paralyzes us just like it did the caterpillar. Just like the caterpillar, when we're wounded by sin, we tend to defend the very sin that's wounding us, just like that caterpillar was defending the very wasp that we're killing it. The virus, in our case sin, causes a bizarre corruption of its normal behavior, just as sin causes that corruption of our normal God-intended behavior, which was intended to worship him. Instead, we fight against him, and we retreat, and we withdraw into isolation. Um, instead, we seek to defend the very thing that's killing us. When we're in community and our sin is exposed, you know, I don't know about you, my sin doesn't come out very much when I'm by myself. I'm just happy. It's when other people are around, they get frustrated and angry and, and they see my sin and my selfishness. And so as we're in community and things come out and it's exposed in us, often instead of listening, we're gonna defend um, our sin and defend the very thing that's actually killing us. We need to remember the community's there to love us and to point us to Jesus. So even though we don't realize we're defending sin, it's a bizarre corruption and we tend to do that. We see through a distorted perspective. That's why we need community. That's why we need biblical community and missional community, community that loves us and is pursuing us with the gospel. And guys, that's why when new people come to the church and, and when they're hungry to get plugged into community, we want somewhere to plug them in because they are begging for life, whether they even realize it or not at this point. But the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus is wanting to bring them life and restoration. And that's not gonna happen in isolation. That's gonna come through hearing his word and walking that out with others in community. And so as community groups, Groups. We want to be experiencing biblical community and intentionally, intentionally, intentionally pursuing one another. It is not the community group leader's job to create healthy relationships. They need to hopefully be shepherding and creating an environment where that can happen, but it is everyone's job in the community group to pursue each other, to create health within the community group, and to invest to create these healthy biblical dynamics. So, has this been helpful? Here's what's gonna happen next. Chris, if you can jump ahead, there's one or two more slides. Uh, the very last one. Uh, real quick announcements. Discipleship training next month is gonna be on spiritual gifts. Um, so we'd love to have you guys here for that on August 16th. And then on August 22nd, we're gonna have, y'all are the first to hear this announcement, but we're gonna go to the Edmonds Marina Beach Park if we can work out the details, but we're planning to do beach baptisms. So that could be a fun, just church-wide picnic and celebration out there.